0: Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you'll hear San Francisco Ballet's 2019 visiting scholar, Claire Croft, speaking about what makes a ballet American at the Points of View lecture on Wednesday, March 27th, 2019, before a performance of Program 5, Lyric Voices. Hope you enjoy. Good evening, everybody. Um, Welcome to opening night of Program 5, Lyric Voices, and our Points of View lecture. I'm Jenny Scholick, the Associate Director of Audience Engagement here at San Francisco Ballet, and I am so pleased to get to introduce you tonight to San Francisco Ballet's 2019 Visiting Scholar, Claire Croft. San Francisco Ballet's Visiting Scholar Program invites an established scholar to participate in San Francisco Ballet's audience engagement programs during the repertory season. The goal of this program is to bring cutting-edge scholarship on ballet to San Francisco Ballet's audiences, students, and staff. Visiting scholars are asked to present excerpts from their scholarly work to company audiences during points of view lectures like we're doing tonight, participate in special topics symposia and give talks about their area of research to San Francisco Ballet students and company staff. This year's scholar is Claire Croft. Claire is a dance historian and theorist, as well as a dramaturg and curator. She's the author of Dancers as Diplomats, American Choreography and Cultural Exchange, a study of the US State Department's sponsorship of international dance tours as a form of cultural diplomacy. That book received the Congress on Research and Dance's outstanding publication prize in 2016. She's also the editor of the book and website Queer Dance, Meanings and Makings, a collection of essays by scholars and artists published by Oxford University Press in 2017. In connection to this volume, Claire also curates the Explode Queer Dance Project, which began in Ann Arbor, toured to New York, and will tour nationally this year. Claire is appointed in both dance and American cultures at the University of Michigan, where she teaches in the MFA and BFA dance programs and she holds a B- PhD from the University of Texas, Austin. So with no further ado, welcome Claire.
1: Thank you, Jenny, um, for such a warm welcome and Thank you to San Francisco Ballet for having me, to everyone who set up this space today, and thank you all for um, coming out to to think together a little bit before we go to the performance tonight, um, which is pretty much my favorite thing to do, to think about dance and then watch dance. So I think we're doing this in a good order. Um, As Jenny said, I'm a dance historian and theorist, and I spend a lot of time thinking about the relationship between dance and nation. And so when I received the invitation to come out, it felt like um, both in terms of the programs that the ballet is presenting this week and the moment that we're living in, it seemed a good time to think about this question. So what makes a ballet American? And the question for me really also arises from our moment, and, and from a piece we'll see tonight, um, Trey McIntyre's Your Flesh Shall Be a Great Poem, and then a piece we'll see on Friday night, Justin Peck's Rodeo for Dance Episodes. Both choreographers, in talking about the work, um, have really talked about how they are Americana or American-inspired works, though in very different ways. And um, as I watched footage of them and started thinking about how exactly this idea of America shows up in dance, um, the thing I started really thinking about was when we say a ballet is American, are we looking at the ballet and sort of diagnosing it, if you will, looking for something in the work that provides evidence of it being American? Or... Is it something about the way we receive the work? So the way we look at it, the frames that we bring to it. And so those are kind of the the ideas I'll be toggling between tonight. And my goal in talking about this question of what makes a ballet American is to to perhaps invite you to think about what's the question you'd like to take into performance tonight. I love dance in part because I don't think it gives us answers. Um, much like poetry, it's a quite porous art form. And I like to think about how to come to it with questions and then how the dance offers a question to me. So, so to kind of get at that, I'm gonna uh, give a little bit of an overview of these two ballets I'm thinking about. And then Take us back in time to see how dance history might help us think about what makes a ballet American. And then fast forward back to this program and then kind of close with a provocation. So as I mentioned, the the two ballets I'm really thinking about are the McIntyre piece, which opens this evening's program. Uh, Your flesh shall be a great program, Shall Be a Great Poem, which is an oddly difficult title to say, which is drawn from the preface of Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. And the ballet itself was made for San Francisco Ballet in 2018 and features pop music by Chris Garneau, although I think we could think about that music as kind of a mix of folk and pop together. And McIntyre, when he's talked about the ballet, has particularly talked about it in relationship to what he describes as his quote unquote Great Plains family, particularly his grandfather. And then Peck's Rodeo, which the full title that Peck gives it is Rodeo for Dance Episodes, which is also the title of the Aaron Copeland music that it uses, um, will be on Friday's program And of course, is drawing on reference to uh, the 1942 ballet by Agnes DeMille, Rodeo, which Copeland composed music for, um, very much at DeMille's uh, not even so much invitation, but insistence. Um, And then Copeland uh, rearranged the score into Rodeo for dance episodes, shortening it a bit from what was made for the ballet. And then Peck returned to this, this music in 2015 for New York City Ballet, where he has been a dancer and now has become resident choreographer. And of course, is you know, arguably one of the most popular choreographers making work, uh, a new work of his just premiered in Houston. And so those are, those are the two that I'm thinking about the most. And y- you can see how both quite overtly, I think, flag uh, inspirations rooted in notions of America, Whitman being perhaps arguably one of the U.S.'s most important poets, and um, DeMille really being a choreographer who in the mid-20th century was, was very much trying to figure out what does it mean to call something American dance and also being invited to do so by a number of groups that I'm going to talk about. So is that what makes a ballet American? Being inspired by something that's recognizably American, or even to think about that another way, putting something in a historical tradition related to uh, questions of America. So this question is, a, is one with a very long history, and one I've spent a lot of time thinking about relative to ballet, and I want to focus on um, this great photo for a little bit to talk about one moment in dance history that I think gives us some insight, not just into what might make a ballet American, but just in fact how messy that question is. So this is a photo that I used in my book, Dancers as Diplomats, um, one of the more exciting archival finds, which it shows New York City Ballet with George Balanchine there in the center, uh, bowing at the end of a performance in Moscow in 1962. And So for those of you who know your American history well, You might realize that if it's fall of 1962, and it's Moscow, we're in a particular tense moment. The Cuban Missile Crisis is, or what we now call the Cuban Missile Crisis, was unfolding in October of that month, which is also when the New York City Ballet was on a tour of the Soviet Union sponsored by the State Department. And, The first program that opened everywhere that the company stopped on the tour, that program closed with Western Symphony, which is the costumes you see here. So somewhat like Rodeo, this very overtly American ballet, the Western-themed costumes, the handkerchiefs on the men, the flouncy skirts on the women, which really accentuate the ways the ballet um, vocabulary brought together you know, many classical ballet steps that we would recognize absolutely as ballet and also um, a number of steps that are sort of in this kind of Western theme. And I am fascinated by this photo in part because the folks who are in it, and I'll say more about how um, I think their very presence on stage displays how this category of American is quite mutable. Um, But just to back up for a little bit. So in 1955, as the Cold War continues to get colder and colder, uh, various folks in D.C. start to think about how cultural export could be very much part of fighting the Cold War. And Initially, the State Department largely sends visual art abroad. Um, By the mid-50s, they begin to think about how the performing arts can be part of these efforts. Jazz travels abroad, musical theater, um, and dance. In 1955, the first State Department tour sends Jose Limon to um, various countries abroad, mainly Europe at that point. And so there's this group of people in DC who are representatives of the State Department, ANTA, which is the American National Theater Academy, and certain people drawn from the dance world, names we recognize now as incredibly significant to ballet history, people like Lucia Chase, Lincoln Kirstein, and they are trying to figure out what is the dance that needs to leave the U.S. and represent this country abroad. And ballet, especially because of the players at the table, Chase being from ABT and Kirstein from New York City Ballet, um, what to do about ballet is really a problem. Um, it's huge, it's expensive, and even more so, there's a lot of worry that on one hand, it seems absolutely necessary to to send ballet abroad to sort of prove that the US can hold its own in a cultural category dominated by the Soviets and and the Russian tradition that precedes Soviet ballet. But on the other hand, um, strategically to try to go up against an artistic category so much associated with the Soviets Seems perhaps misguided. Perhaps better to try to send modern dance abroad to think about how jazz represents us. And so, um, in the archives from the period, in the State Department archives, um, thankfully, they transcribed the minutes of these meetings. And so, as I was working on Dancers as Diplomats, I read had the opportunity to read those minutes, as people really argue over this question of well, what makes ballet American and also what will make it um, be impressive alongside Soviet ballet. And this becomes a particularly crucial question by the late 50s, because the Soviet Union begins sending large companies on wide tours of the U.S. The Bolshoi comes for the first time in 1958 and this group of people in D.C. feels like they have to answer that American ballet has to go abroad and it has to be excellent. And so in 1960 the American Ballet Theater first goes and then in 1962 New York City Ballet goes to the Soviet Union which results in this this photo. So I want to give you a little bit of an overview of what these debates looked like as these people sat around a table and tried to decide what dancers should go and what repertory should travel. The first question, which maybe you might imagine that comes up, is citizenship. Do the dancers need to be American? Well, this photo gives part of the answer which is they eventually decide no. Uh, Violette Verdi is French and Melissa Hayden is Canadian. And when um, the anti-committee first begins talking about this question of citizenship, they're very worried at that point um, in the conversations, Verdi is dancing with American Ballet Theater and also frequently appearing with Eric Brun, who's a Danish dancer. And the conversation is largely that um, it's, it's a huge problem that ABT's, two of their biggest stars at this point, would not be American. But then, in literally the same conversation, someone else at the table suggests that ABT try to hire Hayden away from New York City Ballet and have her go with ABT because she'll be so excellent. It doesn't matter that she's not American. And I love this sort of moment of, um, you know, for all of us who've been a meet- in a meeting and realize someone isn't listening to you, perhaps it seems not that strange that you arrive at a point and somebody says exactly the opposite. Um, but I think it's really interesting that, because it also raises this question of like, well, and when you're watching someone dance, do you know what passport they travel under? Which, of course, is part of why this uh, question comes up more with Verdi and Brune and Hayden as stars at that point. But, you know, even in what's likely a 20-minute period, nobody's really sure if citizenship matters. The next thing that they talk about is, well, maybe it's because the ballet has to have been made in the US. They sort of have, have the tag made in the USA on it. And this is part of how Balanchine's theme and variations winds up on the American Ballet Theater Tour in 1960. First ballet he is considered to have made in the US and so it goes on the 1960 tour. Of course, this also brings up this question of does it matter where these artists are from? Um, Is Balanchine American enough? And at what point does he become American enough to be representing the U.S. in the Soviet Union, of course, being from Russia himself? And then the next point that people grapple with is, well, maybe it needs to be... uh, thematically American. And this is where Rodeo comes up in the conversations. Um, DeMille had made it recently for, for ABT, and in um, and, and the sense was that certainly the Western theme would again tie it to the US. And this was very much bound up in a question of sound the anti-music panel, the corollary to the dance panel that was having this conversation, had recently voted to only send tours abroad that featured all work composed by American composers. And the dance panel then adopted this also. And so the fact that Rodeo had this American theme plus Copland's music made it suitable. But then there's this last question of, well, does American ballet become something that can be defined in and of itself? Or will it only look American American, if it is the opposite of the Soviet ballet? And what this leads to is a selection of works that are sparse, whereas Soviet ballet is high spectacle at this point in the 50s. Um, The neoclassical work by Balanchine, largely abstract, not a lot of sets, very minimal narrative, if any. Um, the, The American ballet had to look different than the Soviet work. So that's how the panel arrives at what companies will go, what dancers can go, what works can go. But in interviewing dancers who were on this tour, several of whom from this photo, they all said, "Mm, things looking so American was actually quite messy. And part of their time of being in the Soviet Union, particularly their tours of the schools, most notably the Kirov, where um, Balanchit had trained, demonstrated to them that these categories of American versus Soviet were not so clearly demarcated, and that ballet itself is really an amalgam of various national perspectives. So one of my favorite stories Um, was told to me by Victoria Simon who was a core dancer at that point and she talked about walking around in the Kirov school on a tour with the group, nobody was left to wander Um, and seeing someone teaching an upper level group in the school and noticing that the really wide fourth position that's the preparation for pirouettes in balancing technique she saw a bunch of upper level Kirov students doing it and had this kind of instantaneous reaction that, oh, this thing that was so deeply associated with Balanchine's technique, which was being by that point called an American style, was of course partially built on what he had learned training in what was now the Soviet Union. And so, uh, you know, these notions that something could be called distinctly American or distinctly Soviet or really distinctly any national perspective on ballet or any dance form was kind of impossible in part because dance is transferred across bodies and bodies move in all kinds of ways around the globe. And so in some ways ballet then becomes a way to think about migration and oral and and traditions that are passed down through bodies. And the other thing that's interesting to me too is part of what Simon was pointing to in talking about the way that fourth position was being done was how often we might think about the relationship between ballet and nation as one that exists in style. And so an emphasis perhaps more on how a step is being done rather than what step is being done. And you can see that even in the way that ballet historians like Tim Scholl and others talk about the um, ways that ballet moved across the European continent, That what's thought of as 19th century Russian ballet technique. Certainly, there are characteristics that we could assign to that. But it's also very much building upon um, Danish footwork or the French port de bras, and so national styles are at once distinct and in relationship to others. And that is is really interesting to me in like how form is often what we talk about in terms of categorizing art and style being something I think is worth paying much more attention to, particularly in a global form like ballet. And this brings me to kind of my next point, which is around, you know, part of how we can see the importance of style is by looking back at these questions through history. And I mentioned part of what makes the works we'll see this week potentially American, is their relationship to earlier works that have asked this very question. For McIntyre, the reference to Whitman. For Peck, the reference to DeMille and to Copeland, an incorporation of Copeland. Copeland. So this led me, um, as I was thinking about what to share with you all today, to go back and read the preface of Leaves of Grass. Uh, which Whitman writes in 1855. Nine editions go on to be published, but the 55 version is is where the preface first appears. and It's it's interesting because um, the last line of the preface of Leaves of Grass is, quote, the proof of a poet is that his country absorbs him as affectionately as he absorbs it. And so in this long writing that is somewhere between poetry and prose, Whitman is really wrestling with exactly the question I wanted to wrestle with tonight. What makes an artist American? And he comes to the idea that it's relational. His use of the word absorb twice is... I think indicative of the ways that nation is a very porous category. One we talk about perhaps as though it has much more demarcation than in fact it does. And so thinking about this nation as very much relational, again thinking back to, well, U.S. ballet is basically something that doesn't look like Soviet ballet. What might happen if we imagine it as um, related to rather than opposed to what in fact is an American artist absorbing that makes it American, so speaking of Whitman, we come back to tonight 's ballet with McIntyre, which will open the program and this image of Benjamin Fremantle, the primary soloist who, in watching it, I might think of him both as MacIntyre and perhaps as MacIntyre's grandfather or manifestations thereof. And I come back to my question of what makes this ballet American? Now, I confess, I think this is a ballet that in part I read as American because of what I bring To watching it, I first encountered McIntyre's work in 2010 when the State Department selected um, the Trey McIntyre project, the company he was running, to be the first American company to work collaboratively with a non-U.S.-based company. In that case, it was KNCDC, a Korean company to create a dance together. It was part of the Dance Motion USA tours, which the State Department brought back in 2010 after, well, in the wake of, uh, at that point, 10 years of conversations about the waning of cultural diplomacy and whether, in fact, the U.S.'s inattention to those kinds of diplomatic efforts might have contributed to the global environment that would have led to 9-11. And so um, when I was working on Dancers as Diplomats, I traveled to Boise, Idaho to watch this ballet that McIntyre had made with three Korean dancers that the company had initially met while on a State Department tour a year prior, and that work premiered in 2012. So I know, in part, I bring this lens of Americanness to the work. But I wanted to challenge myself to think about, well, but is, maybe there is something in the work. Maybe it's not just me bringing this lens. So when I think about is Your Flesh Will Be a Great Poem American, again, I think about Whitman and this reference. Um, I also think about what it means to make work that is autobiographical, which we might, if we looked at some of the major works in the American dance canon, many are quite autobiographical, a notion that the choreographer will tell a story of themselves through the creation of ballet and dance. Again, music pops up. Does it sound American? And the pop music in in this work, again, this kind of blend of pop and folk uh, written by an American artist, does that make it American? And then finally, this question of style comes back. And in our moment of what many call contemporary ballet, style is really the thing. In many ways, that distinguishes choreographers from choreographers. You might be able to distinguish Peck from McIntyre based on how they coach the dancers to do the steps. And I would be interesting to pose that you know, two things often show up in McIntyre's work. One, a real sense of playfulness. Even in a relatively melancholic ballet like tonight's, um, there's a sense of the virtuosicness isn't about Spectacle or extremes, but about a sense of play, and I, I think about that a lot um, in the ways that Padasha Shah shows up in the work so step of the cat it 's probably the ballet um, the ballet move easiest to recognize by its translation um, but this kind of like this pe- this step that 's sort of transitional it 's not supposed to be a big thing, and it shows up ne- a number of times throughout the ballet in this kind of extreme version which also I think kind of plays with a question of transition in McIntyre and how there's sort of seamless material that has a sense of buoyancy that unfolds and unfolds and when I watch this particular ballet I think a little bit about Jerome Robbins who was supposed to be the choreographer to first go to the Soviet Union. His pickup company, Ballets USA, was what Anta wanted to send first, but the Soviet Union rejected it. But instead, Robin's work winds up going with New York City Ballet. So just thinking about different trajectories of Americanness in dance. And then, so in some ways, if McIntyre's is maybe... I'm coming to the idea both, I'm sort of placing a a notion of its Americanness on it because it's been chosen to represent the US in a particular moment, but also that some of these characteristics that have been marked as American are there. Um, Peck felt easier to think about. The references feel so present and so clear Again, rodeo, a ballet set very much uh, the original version, the 42 version, on a ranch with cowboys, and in fact, Copeland didn't um, want to make the music supposedly, um, and and thought it was actually too on the nose, and he didn't want to do just another cowboy-themed. Ballet and Demille actually went ahead and and choreographed it, and supposedly had made almost the entire dance before Copeland composed anything. And part of um, Copeland's dis- the distinctiveness of *Rodeo* and Copeland's work is where he's often, if you're familiar with his music, combining folk influences and classical influences. Uh, musicologists argue that in Rodeo, in some ways he doesn't do as much to cover up the folk music. You can hear that. And, of course, this might be the Copeland all of us are most familiar with because the down, the closing section, has been how we have learned we're supposed to be eating lots of beef through commercials for many, many years. So if you can imagine that commercial in your ear, you can think about how much... Square dance and sort of hoedown music lives perhaps less, less, um, less obscured in this music. I'm also interested in trying to think about the humor in Peck's ballet as perhaps American. Um, I don't think I want to share <laughs> the the particular moment I'm thinking of, but there's sort of an oddball moment towards the end of the ballet that. Um, it's quite funny, it's quite odd, it's not narrative, and I would argue that a kind of abstract notion of humor might be something we could say was a particular American tradition in ballet. But then the part of Peck's Rodeo that I'm most interested in thinking about American is the part that brings me back to this idea of how dance asks us to pose a question to ourselves and that is um, the second section which in the earlier version is a duet between a man and a woman but in Peck's version is a quintet for five men. It's absolutely beautiful. It's soft It's not exactly homoerotic, but maybe. It's definitely homosocial, the sense of a kind of connection between men that we don't often get to see in ballet, where men are more often asked to support women. And the connection between these five men in this very Americana sound and in this American tradition with this DeMille referent I'm intrigued by because instead of sort of confirming what I might think counts as American, it pushes me to imagine what might be American. Much uh, mainstream American performance is often sort of sealed by the heterosexual family. And certainly, ballet is no different. The pot de deux, the wedding pot de deux, between the man and the woman is the highest moment. We see it in all kinds of um, popular American art. I always think about musical theater as the ultimate moment of if a man and woman marry and have children, then in fact, the nuclear family can do anything. And there's big major chords and Um, but there's something different offered in that quintet in Peck and a way of being together that isn't necessarily about a heterosexual dyad it doesn't necessarily require multiple genders on stage and it also reimagines masculinity which Feels an incredibly important intervention in what we might think American art could be. And so I want to leave you in hopes in part that you'll love that quintet as much as I do, but also to think about how ballet, how American art might shift us from thinking about what makes a ballet American in a diagnostic sense, and instead how the work turns the question back to us, and then how might watching these ballets help us imagine a more expansive notion of this idea of Americanness? And I feel like it's an important question because I also wanna remember that these works don't just live inside this theater, but in fact in the countries from which we come from and in the time from which we live. Whitman was writing Leaves of Grass in 1855 in a country about to split apart over the question of slavery. DeMille was making Rodeo and trying to imagine some kind of American promise in a world at war, in a world grappling with what the Holocaust is. And now we watch these ballets tonight and Friday in a world where there is a huge debate about who could possibly be allowed into the US and where people make massive stands against an expansive notion of something being American. So my invitation to you and to myself is what question might you bring as you watch tonight? And what kind of questions do we need to be asking that the ballet might bring us back to and help us bring these questions back out into the world? So dance doesn't have to be sealed inside these doors, but can travel body to body, just like those ballet histories did and help us recognize where we come from and the world we might be able to make if art can help us dream. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programs, check out sfballet.org or your favorite podcast player.